pass from Havili was magic. The shift on for Crotty. Boom, far down you go, Quaggett Smith. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Sit back, relax, put your belt on, and enjoy the show. All right, welcome to the Draft Rugby Show. I'm your host, Kagi, and tonight we will discuss the Pumas' absolute thumping of the All Blacks. Oh, wait, hold on, maybe not. Um, I'll be joined by uh, my co-host, Harry and Nelson, and we're backing up with another special guest this week after having our South American correspondent, the great man Paul Tate, uh, at America's Oval, joining us last week. So huge thanks to Paul he really is our go-to man for all things um, America's rugby, but particularly Argentina. So that was great. Um, this week, we're fortunate enough to be joined by a absolute superstar, Squidge Rugby. Uh, if you are listening to our podcast, you have definitely heard of him. Uh, otherwise, you can stop listening now. But um, no, just <laughs> Although I was going to say, I think he was very close a few weeks ago to changing his uh, his name and his channel name to The Moss Rugby. Um, the Moss! <laughs> oh, it certainly came into consideration. <laughs> changing, just dropping everything and doing it in Spanish as well, um, despite <laughs> what my GCSE results suggested. That would um, be impressive. That would have been very interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, welcome and thank you very much for joining us. Um, it's fantastic to have you. It's early in the morning in the UK. Um, but look, Squidge, yeah, he has been absolutely killing it. Um, just uh, his YouTube channel at Squidge Rugby growing rapidly. I think it's almost up to 500,000 subscribers now. He's a movie star featuring in documentaries, Chasing the Sun. I mean, it's, it's yeah. sky's the limit from here. So look, thanks very much for joining us and welcome to the Draft Rugby Show. No, thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Um, now, I did joke about the uh, Pumas thumping the All Blacks. That did happen a few weeks ago. And we could just talk about that this entire pod. I'm sure um, Squidge would love that. But um, no, look, it was a, a different result this week. Um, and actually, before we get into it, I, I do have to say, uh, so I've said you can find Squidge on, um, uh, at Squidge Rugby on YouTube, on Twitter. Uh, same with us. We're, we're on YouTube now as well. Um, this video call will be up uh, and podcast as well. Um, so get after us as well if you can. But look, the, as I said, sorry, no, you go. Don't expect as uh, as well produced videos. It's Harry, you know, people <laughs> chop and change. You know, might have like a little logo just in the top left corner. That's about it. Harry's so, actually waiting for the course to come out, the Squidge Rugby course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, this is this is tip one in the course is don't have my face in it. So you failed there already. <laughs> you've already slipped up. But the, we started this podcast because we knew we didn't have. You know, we had the face for a podcast, and now we're doing videos. So <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Something is wrong there. It's a grey area. It's a grey yeah. area. Yeah. There's yeah. a reason I hide mine till the end, till you've already watched <laughs> yeah. most of it, and then you're like, "Here he is." Ooh, no, no, I can tune out now. I'm done. The content's finished. I, I've only tuned out at the end of one of your videos when um, you were started apologising for tearing apart Ted Flanagan and, um, and saying he actually had a good game. I was like, nope, all right, I'm done now with this video. That's fine. I won't have it. But, um, look, that's foreshadowing. We'll, we'll get onto a preview of that game. Uh, Nels, my first question for you is, obviously, New Zealand winning this one uh, in an emphatic fashion. Who did you... Uh, you must not have bet on the All Blacks this week um, as the, the trend has been going. Just to fill you in, Squid, whenever I bet for the All Blacks, they lose. And, like, right. I think I've done it twice in my entire life. But uh, okay. Okay. This, uh, I did bet on them to win, but not by this much. So, you know, there's, there's a part of the trend still happening this week. But, you know, I didn't think they were going to break, break away this much. Very good. <laughs> 
All right. Well, look, I've been doing a lot of talking. So Harry, why don't you launch us into the entree? We're going to start with um, reviewing. Let's talk about the game. New Zealand 38, Argentina 0. Harry, take it away. So uh, obviously, just quickly covering off the injuries, the one that we saw was Guido Petty going down with the ankle injury, taped up and managed to play on. Nelson, you uh, you were particularly unimpressed with how he finished the game as a, the great uh, lock that he was. Yeah, the, that Tuapolotu try right at the end, I, I think he got caught out massively, you know, defending on the, the man inside him and not looking up at all and being very slow in his lateral movement. But yes, you can, you can forgive him a little bit for his slow lateral movement with that ankle sprain, but he was just largely out of position for mine. I thought that was, that was pretty critical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, off the bat, I guess the big change with this one was obviously the Argies made 10 changes to their starting lineup. So huge upset to their cohesion. And I mean, Squid, you obviously had a better look at how the Argies played in the earlier games of the Tri-Nations than what we have. What did you notice as the big difference between their performance this week compared to earlier in the competition? Yeah, I think those changes do make a difference. Uh, it's kind of, you know, that level of cohesion and so on. Um, and it's, it's entirely fair enough, you know, a lot of those players who didn't play in those first two games were still quarantined to go for the same things that they, you know, the others did and have been away from their family for months. And so you, you, they want to have a game, you know, and it, it entirely makes sense, but it was a lot of change to make it once. Mm. Um, and I felt the all black kicking game really caught them out. You know, I thought the all black kicking game was fantastic. It was, yep. it was very, very good. Um, and they completely changed their back three from that first game. And obviously Buffelli came in last week, but, um, but it was... Yeah, I, I thought that really caught them out. I don't know if it was just a cohesion thing. I haven't, I've only watched the game once so far from Saturday. Um, but it felt a lot like they just kept catching them shallow. And also, I think Del Fuente had a good game generally. But yeah. there are a few times where Shokovaris was dropping back and helping cover little chips and also was often back, um, was really useful on rather a, a kick chase. Uh, Del Fuente wasn't quite doing that. And they had him almost man marking Caleb Clark as you know their biggest back um or marking the opposition's biggest back um on kick return so there's a there's a few little bits that that you felt like um argentina partly through that changes partly through just the all blacks being far better and being far more on it and having had time to look at that argentina performance and go okay how can we stop this and what do we have to do to to shut them down um i felt it was it was interesting um yeah and very very good very effective from the all blacks yeah, I think one of the, the things they did early in that game, you know, to, to sort of at, attack that defensive 15-man wall that you, you see with Argentina and that, that line speed was that little chip over the top. Um, did, was there anything else you saw that you thought they, they changed up this, this week to, to try and, uh, you know, attack differently with that, that you know, high line speed? I think it was firstly just generally the way they kicked very shallow. So yep. they were kicking quite close to the behind the defensive line. So it was easy to get several men up in chase. You're not looking just one wing and kind of going all or nothing, diving for it, um, which was A, very useful, and B, was pulling Argentina, who typically were dropping wingers far deeper in the past yep. couple of games, uh, bringing them up far narrower, and then they were left kind of confused to where they were positioning themselves. Um, and that does, especially when you get into the second half, will start to create more space if, the defence aren't quite sure where they need to stand if they're given lots of different reasons to stand in different positions, particularly out wide. Yeah. Um, so that began to create a bit of space. Um, and the other thing is, I think they just managed to keep at Argentina in a way until they started to slip back into being the panicky old team they have in the past. 
yep. in that way that sometimes they will they will chase a game, they will play too hard, and they will play too much, and they will throw interception passes, and they will you know kick loosely. Um, and in the end, Will Jordan found that out, you know, and they kind of but it took a bit of a softening up, both physically as you'd expect, and also kind of mentally. And they started to get into we need to chase this, we need to throw mad passes that aren't on to Will Jordan. Watching that um, that really intimidating 15-man defensive wall that Argentina put forward, I thought they looked like they sat similarly. And I, I could see that had a little bit of depth in their back three to start the game. But trying to watch in the second half, if they did kind of veer away from that tactic. And I, I remember looking for it around the 60-minute mark and seeing that they did present a pretty similar line. Did they change the way they defended when those short kicks started to break them apart a little bit? There were a couple of times you were noticing um, Sanchez certainly starting to drop deeper. Um, and then they weirdly put Carreras on at 10. I didn't realise he could play 10 until he came on there. Um, which, that was a lesson. That was something we learned. Uh, but he then, I don't know if it, it was why, but he then did start to drop back further defensively and almost play as a second fullback as he did, obviously starting fullback um, a couple of weeks ago and last week indeed. Um, so... Yeah, I, it was happening occasionally. As I say, I've only watched the game back once. But there were moments in which you were seeing, um, I think Mojano got caught out on just being stood too deep at one point. You know, they know about kicking quite yeah. shallow and kicking quite close to the line. Um, so it, if nothing else, even if they are committing to what they're doing, they were adding some doubt to individual players' minds. And you were seeing, yep. I think, the back three in particular. And then you add in the 10 and the 9 and you know, other players around there being slightly slower to drop back and slower to change. Yep. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, I think yeah, it was interesting. We learned that from Paul last week about Carreras in that, um, mm. you know, I wanted to see some more of Domingo Miotti on the bench. I think he's an exciting prospect, but uh, we, yeah, Carreras was the cover for 10. So they thought they didn't really need a 10 in the, in the, uh, mm. on the bench yeah. the last couple of weeks, but um, interesting decisions. Those ones. Okay, yeah. You make a great point. You've only watched the game one time. How many times do you watch, uh, typically watch a game to, uh, to, I, I guess, come up with the level of insights and analysis that you come up with? Um, it'll usually be about three times. I'll usually watch it kind of live and kind of get an impression and a feel for it. Then I'll watch it back again and kind of, you know, go through it. And I'll slow down and pause on bits. Yeah. And then I'll go back a third time. And it used to be far more than this. I've kind of got it down to quite a fine art. Uh, I'll then watch it back a third time as I'm kind of writing the script and as I'm kind of working out what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so that I'm kind of adding in extra bits. And sometimes I'll notice something as I'm watching it through there that I, I didn't notice in my kind of quite thorough notes and so on. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've managed to get it down to three times, but That's you, then end up, yeah. you then end up seeing it far more when you're actually editing, pulling the footage out of those bits and so on. So it, it like the World Cup final last year, I probably watched beginning to end about three times, um, probably maybe four. But because I'm so familiar with the footage from pulling it out, like, I will see the bits in, you mentioned chasing the sun and I was watching it back. Yeah. There are moments it'll cut to like a reaction shot of Peter Stafford toy. And I'll go, Oh, that's in the 67th minute. Cause I just know that <laughs> inside out. Yeah. yeah. I've just learned from watching it over so many times and skimming through. I know roughly everything that happens in sequence. Like I'm a South African. <laughs> so, so your, your special trick, if you ever go on a game show of like, um, you know, <laughs> Play play uh, the super play the rugby world cup final and I'll tell you what happens at any I'll tell you what minute it is at any point any clip yeah, yeah. it's a completely useless skill yeah. yeah that's a good very mild superpower <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we 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 probably watch the game we probably watch the game two times it just depends on mm. how many beers we've had in the first one basically that's yeah. the, the, definitely. Uh, 
There's <laughs> always yeah. the trick, isn't it? There's always the secret. I yeah. sometimes think this, that people will say, God, you notice so much when you watch rugby. And it's like, no, I just generally watch it sober. That has <laughs> been my trick. <laughs> It's definitely the trick to it. (laughs) (laughs) Going, um, going. Um, well, yeah, in terms of the stats, uh, look, and New Zealand obviously dominated possession and territory. Uh, Possession about 66%, it ended up, and territory 79%. It is pretty difficult to win a ball game when you only have 20% of the territory. So uh, it was interesting. Similarly, um, New Zealand had a really good kicking game. They ended up with a similar amount of kicking meters, um, both teams. Um, which was interesting, but uh, New Zealand just, they committed to a game plan of um, take the points when they're on offer. They learned that lesson, uh, beat, beat them up front with the physicality. And yeah, as, as we've talked about the variation, the spreading it wide, trying lots of things to unsettle that um, Argentinian defensive wall uh, and just really pick up the pace of the game, which is where they play some of their best footy. Um yeah, I think we often talk about uh, how we can we feel a game's going to go based on the haka. Uh, Nelson, what's the name? They, they did their, uh, I guess, their most terrifying haka for this game. So they, oh. they announced they were all business. Uh, Nelson, what's this one called? I'm not sure why I'm getting thrown under the bus, <laughs> but it's the Kappa o Pango. Uh, that, that could be horribly wrong pronunciation, but uh, we'll stick with it. Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the, the throat-slitting type one kind of at the end there, uh, which just... <laughs> Uh, was was great, but I mean, look, it was it was nice of them to uh, put down that Maradona jersey as well. I thought that was a good um, sign of respect for a, a, a legend. So, uh, but yeah, no, I think they came out. If you give New Zealand uh, after a loss two weeks to prepare against any team, uh, and after a loss, chances are they're going to win that game and they're going to come out firing. Um, so, I think uh, Argentina kind of knew what they were up against. Um, the penalty count in this one was different. Uh, so it was kind of reversed. We said last time, a lot of things kind of went against the All Blacks, but this week, double the penalties uh, conceded by Argentina, 14 to seven. So that's certainly played into their hands. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, uh, apart from the set piece, the obvious ones, what do you think, uh, I guess, where were their main areas? They were much more disciplined this in this week's game. I think as well as obviously the scrum is the the big one that was a huge difference from the first game um, and I think having a you know two different props out did change things and it changed a bit in the, the second half when they changed the front row um, but I think generally there were those daft penalties I think we kind of associate with Argentina and past started to creep in a bit so Kramer gave away a couple of penalties then got kind of hauled off having been one of the best players on the pitch in both the games uh, they played up until now. Um, he started to just sneak a bit into letting things slip and giving a penalty that break down. Um, and they start to do that just kind of little niggle penalties, little penalties they don't need to give, where they'll kind of dive over the top of a ruck or they'll, mm. they'll, they'll shove someone off the ball. Um, and part of that comes from frustration. And yeah. part of it, I think, comes from them. They've spent the last however long they've been training together because it has seemingly been a very long time You've been seeing the odd clip on social media of the all of the uh, what, the, what are they called the Pumas. That's the one. I went through all three teams in this competition before I got there. Um, you've been seeing odd clips of Argentina kind of training together for seemingly about six months, um, and they've very much been thinking about and aiming for that All Blacks game. And I think you can probably keep yourself sharp when you're aiming for one game and that's yeah. the whole focus. And then they kind of were able to find a bit of a second win for the Wallabies last week and kind of go, okay, right, we can do this again. Uh, picked up by having won. 
and I think this kind of became a they're letting old habits slip back in because there isn't the novelty there isn't the kind of the the same motivation um, not that, not I'm not saying they're unmotivated but there's this kind yeah. of like there's a slightly less focus on it um so yeah I think they just let it was just silly penalties really you know it's just penalties they didn't need to give away and the best teams in the All Blacks as we saw don't give those penalties away on the whole and you can often see you know there are certain penalties the teams start to give them away quite regularly yeah. if it's more than one or two a game you kind of know they're going to lose and Argentina gave away you know five or six of those when when against the All Blacks they didn't really give away any on yeah. the first time around. I think um I think they actually had four like considered four scrum penalties as well, which is absolutely massive. You know, with those changes you're talking about with the All Blacks props, Nepo Laulala, I think having a, a massive impact. Um, I think Craig's Kagi thinks offers their their best tide head, but um, with Nepo scrummaging like that, you know, he's having a huge impact. Um, you can't write off Moody as well. I thought. Moody has this ability, and, and let's just say, Squidge, that none of us are fans of Moody. You know, Dane Coles gets a big rap to say that he's the dirtiest player in New Zealand. I reckon Joe Moody is far and away the dirtiest player in New Zealand because they're always just dirty dog shots. But that's not, that's not the point of this. Um, Joe Moody has this ability for the Crusaders and for the All Blacks when they really decide that they're going to go after a team's scrum because they believe it's their team's weapon. For some reason, he's just the one player who can go from kind of playing a quiet role in the scrum and then just demolishing a team in the scrum when you never think it's going to happen. And it's, it's just so, so impressive. And he just mm. games to do it. Yeah. I never thought about it like that, but that's right. That is exactly what seems to happen. And it's always, if he gets destroyed a game beforehand, he will always, in that way, you always say about the All Blacks generally. Yeah. But yeah, that Moody will bounce back. He will eat you. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, look, I, I certainly think Offer Tuangafazi is their best all-round prop. And I think you guys, we, we often, we're very critical of their scrum just in terms of we think that Argentinas, the Wallabies, South Africa, we think a lot of countries really have it over New Zealand in the scrum, but we never seem to get the amount of pay that we think we deserve in that regard. But I think Nepo Laulala is New Zealand's best tight head prop in the scrum. He Just the way he's built, um, all-round all player, certainly Offer Tuangafazi, but Nepo, he really... Really, that was his role, and he nailed it, didn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. Four penalties—that's huge. I always with um, Tuangafase think about when he's playing under twenties for New Zealand, um, and he was at Tighthead the first time the Welsh under twenties ever beat the the, the baby blacks, um, and he was absolutely destroyed all game long. Like he was being pushed off his own ball by ten meters. Where's and I kind of went, this guy is twice the size of anyone else on the team. Yeah. And, you know, and only a third of that is his hair. Um, <laughs> how is he being eaten by, to, to use that word again, by, you know, it was Rob Evans at the time. He's gone on to obviously play quite a lot of Wales. But, um, but I kind of, I had a really negative opinion of him. And he's since then sorted it out and he's really grown as a scrummager. Um, I think he's caught up an awful lot. Um, but I still, there's still a little bit in me in my head that remembers that game, remembers him being, seeing him be completely destroyed at under 20s level um, by a couple of props as well. I think Wales was the worst he faced, but there are a few other games where he was really struggling in the scrum against you know, players that have gone on to not necessarily be the best players. But he has, he's worked hard and he sorted himself out um, and he is a very good player around the field. You can kind of see that even back then. Um, this is a complete tangent. I, forgot, I can't remember where I was going with this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we're still enjoying it. I, I was, I was just going to ask one more question on our tangent. Did you watch him much in Super Rugby Aotearoa? Because he was unbelievable. Yeah, 
Yeah, he was. Um, and it's one of these things where you kind of end up slowly coming around to going, okay, you know, he's a he's a good he's a good level player. And then you're watching him and you're going, oh no, he's really good, isn't he? Yeah, he's really good. <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of need to need to reassess what I was thinking on him. Uh, <laughs> so I have I have since come round, even as a little bit of prejudice. Every time I see him, kind of you know do badly in a scrum or not do so well in a scrum anyway. A little bit of me goes, I was right. Here's my bias. All along. Right. Yeah, <laughs> there he, he's back. Well, speaking of player evaluations, uh, a favourite of mine and certainly someone who's got a lot of raps this week, uh, Akira Yuani. Um, particularly, mm. there's been a lot of headlines. I think NZ Herald headlines talking about that New Zealand's been looking for this six since Jerome Kano. And uh, is Akira the answer? Obviously, some clickbait, but um, I thought he was fantastic. What did you think of Akira Ioane's performance and, and, I guess, fitting into that team? I mean, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I thought he was very, very good. And because I'm increasingly of the opinion that Shannon Frizzell doesn't work hard enough to be an international... He's got the talent to be, but yep. he doesn't have the work ethic of an international six. Yeah. Um, whereas Ioane put himself about he was everywhere he was involved in everything um and it's something lee from the blood and mud podcast which is in the uk uh always says he thinks the thing a six should be is amongst it and it's more important than any stats anything else and he was always amongst it you know he was always there you looked up whenever there was anything kind of physical happening he was about and he was very often there you know for you didn't necessarily see him in the wide channels i think we've seen him in super rugby you know, he's able to do and obviously having played sevens as well. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, in terms of a six's core role, especially within the All Blacks, especially within kind of like the stereotypical Southern Hemisphere role of a six, mm. he was absolutely there. I thought it very much looked like, oh, this is the answer to that question, as you say, since Jerome Kaino. Really um, and then trying last year, the two sevens, and this looked like, right, we've got him. We found him. We found who can slot in there. It's been, yeah, I think it's been a long time coming, especially for Akira, you know, at super rugby level, he's had times where he's been brilliant and then he's faded away and he'll come out and say he's, he's faced some, some mental demons and things like that. But this year he's really going to be switched on and, you know, not be able to complete a full season. And I, I want, I'm just wondering now, you know, after that match, has it come full circle? You know, has he, has he got his attitude right? Has he, you know, completed the things that he, he needed to do to get to this point and, and we see him lock down that jersey? And I really hope so because I think he's a brilliant player and, you know, it's, it's been a long time coming for him. Um, was there anyone else that you, you would like to highlight, highlight as the standout or someone who really, you know, shone a light for, for you in this match? Oh, it would have been Nikhil Ioane. Um, I think he was fantastic. Though I think... Uh, there's some little player, you know, I think a few of us kind of heard him for the first time over Super Rugby Aotearoa, um, who we're kind of, we're getting to know slowly, called uh, Bowden Barrett, um, <laughs> who I think yeah. Barrett was absolutely fantastic and in quite a different way to the way we're used to him because he is, I don't know if anyone knows it, he's a really good rugby player um, <laughs> and he's really well-rounded as well. You know, he's not just the big running threat that you see when you watch highlight compilations um he is an extremely good well-rounded player and the sheer variety he brought to the kicking game you know if Mwanga was fine Mwanga... oh we're just losing him a little bit so maybe we'll just buy some time on the podcast while we do this and then say something interesting Nelson 
<laughs> see from fifteen. We just lost you. We just lost you. Oh, sorry. Okay, I went on a long tangent about how wonderful Bowden Barrett is. Um, no, we seamlessly covered. I, <laughs> you, you never, you never notice when you hear it. But look, do you, do you see Barrett you know, Bowden as as a fifteen? Is that where you think his preferred position is? I don't know. I I think he is a ten. Yeah. But at the same time, you. it worked really well from fullback last week. And it, there is that kind of getting your best players on the pitch, blah, 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 blah. Um, I felt before the start of this Tri-Nations, the All Blacks just need to pick either one or Barrett and go, you're our number one. We're going to play you at 10 rather than floating about kind of having the two trying both of them, neither quite slotting. Yep. Um, and I think the way they've used Barrett these last couple of games has certainly this game anyway uh, and a little bit I suppose the the last Wallabies game last Wallabies game um, has changed a bit you know and he's it's less of a he's less in there to choke it about and then have a little run every now and again um, and he's being used as an alternate option to change the way they're playing yep. and I think that's far nicer um, I still think it's not getting the best out of Mwanga you know I think they're yeah. getting more Barrett than they are Mwanga this combination but it's it is almost that like case to pick one, you know, of of how you're going to make it work. Well, it's, you've, it's funny you've that the two games that they've won by a significant margin, Barrett at 15 has been really, really praised. In the games they've lost, mm. he's been absolutely hammered for that selection. It's almost like the you know the whole compass of the team is being dictated in the spectators' views of that 10-15 combination. And you know, mm. I, I think it's going to be a big uh, a big telltale of what happens with the All Blacks in the next three four years. Well, hold on. We yeah. can't get away from this question because it's deeply divisive between the three of us. If you had to select Bowden Bowder or Richie Mwanga at 10 for the All Blacks and they could only play 10, not 15, the other who, one on the who are you picking? Barrett. Bowden Barrett. Yes, thank you. Yeah. What, are the vote, what are the votes around the table? What else do we say? It's Who's saying me. what? It's on on current me. form, I've been saying Richie Mwanga. I think he's... okay. In too good a form. And Barrett hasn't been playing there. And I, I was, yeah, yeah, I was saying the same, similar tangent. And then you got Bodie on the, the bench to, to cover a number of positions and just absolutely light up any team. I like his pace and a tired defence as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, untired defence. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Moanga though, that the All Black, I, I've said this in a video before, but the thing, Moanga is at his best when he's getting lots of touches, when he's just yep. constantly on the ball. Um, and he seems to pop up and do that for one passenger player game at the minute for the All Blacks. And otherwise, he's too busy having to slot into the way they play and having to run their systems yeah. to actually be as effective as he is for the Crusaders, where everything runs like clockwork around him anyway, and he can just slot in and do whatever he likes, and he can pick up the pass, and he can go, okay, I'm going to try a cross-kick now. I'm going to try a 30-metre miss pass. I'm going to run it now. Um, I just think when he's given more time, and he's given as many, as I say, touch of the ball as possible, I, I think that's when he does best, and that hasn't been working for the All Blacks. But I don't know. I, I, whereas Barrett, I think you can just slot in to do anything, and yeah. so long as he's got a little bit to adjust. I kind of, could... I kind of go back and forth in my, my thoughts about it a little bit, and whether that ten fifteen combo is is right and where it is. But I mean, if you've got them both on the paddock, one can stand up when the other one doesn't. I mean, if you look at you yeah. know the New Zealand thrashing of Australia. And Moonga got a couple tries himself, and he had he had four line breaks, 120 meters, five tackle busts. He just took upon himself in large moments in that game. So if you've got them both on the paddock, one of them is going to stand out. Yeah. 
So um, one, one of the other guys that I think is was really good in this game, and I think he, he has the ability to drift in and out of games, to be honest, but excellent this week was Caleb Clark. My question to you is, do you take 2020 mm. Caleb Clark or 2019 Sevier Reese? Oof. <laughs> uh, Caleb, Caleb Clark over Sevier Reese. Yeah, if that's, the, if that's the question. I'd still, still, still. Uh, <laughs> um, there's there's a cleaner background, cleaner history for Caleb Clark as well. He's less problematic. Yeah? <laughs> um, but I see. I think Caleb Clark is very good, but I do still think there were maybe two or three opportunities where he could have and probably should have scored. Yep. And I do think he's still very green. Um, Great, yeah, I keep yeah. thinking this because I think there's a, a lot. But um, I rate Josh Adams, the Welsh winger, incredibly highly. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think he doesn't blow chances. You know, you, you put him anywhere near the try line. And I always think it's a bit like, you know, the stories you hear of mothers who can suddenly lift a two-ton car to get their child out from underneath. <laughs> like, Josh Adams goes from, when he gets near the try line, he goes from being this quite, you know, like, well-built, but not that big for a rugby player, to mm. suddenly being completely unstoppable. You know, he's, he's so much quicker, faster, stronger, everything when he gets near the try line. And he I- will finish any chance. So and I keep you're... looking at those chances and going like the Caleb Clark, and I think Adams would have got a hat trick if he was in there. Um, <laughs> so and there's a few Josh... other players where he's sorry, go on. So you're saying Josh Adams is a mother, the mother of Wales, and Wales is in basically in a lot of trouble and under a car, and he's having to lift him out of that trouble. <laughs> That's it. It's a baby that looks like Alan Wynne Jones. Yeah. <laughs> a really flattering look for a baby. Yeah, similar hairline though. I couldn't agree more. And even just then saying Adams would have had a hat-trick. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. I remember looking at Adams' last World Cup and saying, look, he's not that, he doesn't excite me. He's not that impressive. A guy. How is he scoring so many tries all the time? And I think you're right. Somehow he doesn't, he seizes every opportunity. He never yeah. doesn't score. And that's, uh, yeah, huge. I think there's a load of stuff. Sorry, I've turned this into a Josh Adams appreciation <laughs> podcast, uh, which I'll happily do anything. Eventually, can't believe but, yeah. it far before talking about Wales. <laughs> but there's, there's, you know, his whole when he was, I think, seventeen, eighteen, he got dropped by the Scarlets um, and wasn't offered a professional deal because he kind of just become very lazy. In, you know, he was playing for sort of Wales in his twenties and and he kind of stopped really trying. Um, and I think then he kind of felt like, oh, that's it. You know, my my dream's dead. Of this thing I've worked reasonably hard for. Uh, he then got picked up by Worcester, and then from there has been enormously. I think because he's driven on by the fact he felt he was going to fail, and he ends up playing like the English third division. Um, and managed to kind of work his way back up to eventually playing for Wales. And I think he, he's become an incredibly hard worker and incredibly focused and fixated. Um, and yeah, sorry, I've stopped talking about Josh Adams now. Um, <laughs> but the good question was about Caleb Clark, uh, and I. <laughs> I think he's extremely dangerous and very, very good. Um, I still think he's got a lot to work on. You know, I still think he's to keep talking about kicking, but um, we saw a few times in the the first game against Argentina where it was the same thing that like Lamu, Nadolo, like all of these sort of big wingers often get caught out on is you turn them, you know, you put the ball in behind them and still find some space behind. Um, And that's just going to be a thing he's going to have to work on, you know, but I do think his, his finishing isn't quite there. You know, he'll score something out of nothing or create something out of nothing or he'll create something on, you know, he'll, he'll take a chance well if it suits him. But I still don't think he's kind of predatory um, in quite the way past all backs, but that Surveyor was, you know, Surveyor took every chance. Surveyor was incredible. Yeah. 
Um, I, I don't think he's quite had bad. such a breakout first game, right? So everything's yeah. gotten a little bit of a better shine on it because of that. But I completely he, agree. Yeah, he's, he's still a little bit green. But he, there are points in, in that game. You just He seems like he's still a man playing against children. Like, just early on <laughs> yeah. in that game, the way he looks for contact and runs into people, you, I, I don't know the last time I sat there and really sat back and went, he looks like an adult wanting kids. Yeah. Yes. Seriously, that's yeah. what it looks like. <laughs> and he is a kid. Like, yeah, imagine no. what he was like a few years ago when he was playing age grade. Yeah. <laughs> and Argentina, yet yeah, I think, I'm not sure if they did it this week, but in the first game, they kept kicking to him, all the kickoffs, they kept kicking mm. to him. Well, they thinking, I'm not sure that's wise. Like, I get that he hasn't played much, but I mm, don't know about that. But uh, look, but before... You, sorry, you, no, please. I was saying, you got him out of the game early. You yeah. kicked to him, and then you have Chocobares, and then one of the back rowers would yeah. follow up on him. So yeah. they had their biggest back and then a back rower, meaning that he wasn't then running at a winger. You know, the Bucks couldn't get him into space, which yeah. is, it seems backwards, but it's sort of a better way of dealing with it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Look, I think the another huge stat coming out of this game, there's no surprise, but the, uh, the run meters were 918 to 226. Mm-hmm. Obviously all the attacking stats were reflected in that as well. I've never seen a number that high. That is that is wow. absolutely crazy. Um, a couple hundred of those were probably from um, Will Jordan coming off, <laughs> getting getting those intercepts and scoops up in his, his first couple touches there. But look, I, I think it's time to move on to the main course. Craig, do you want to take us into that? Let's do it. I think you guys cut out for a little bit then, but that's all right. We'll, we'll plow on. Um, the main course, Australia and Argentina, the final game, t- test game of the Tri-Nations. Um, and uh, just how easily will Australia score the 101 points they need to <laughs> retain the Tri-Nations? Uh, Is it that grim? I thought it was in the 90s. No, nope, it's 101. It's 101 points, yeah. But um, no, I think we, we, we talked about before the Tri-Nations. We like the Tri-Nations coming back because... Whilst New Zealand may have held on to the Bledisloe the last 17 years, uh, since there hasn't been a Tri-Nation since, I think it was 2011, we've technically held on to the Tri-Nations for the last <laughs> nine years, which has been it's great. It comes to an end. Yeah. But if, I feel like we're now going to, it's going to be a tall order to win it now and then hold on to it in perpetuity. So um, uh, how, how gutted will you be if you win by 98 points? <laughs> oh, I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> 98 points and it comes down to a Reese Hodge penalty from his own line. Oh no. In the last minute. He, he's oh. had two kicks to basically win it for us and he gets one more when he misses. At 98, <laughs> I take the three. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to get to 101. Go win the title. But uh, you, I've got to, I've got to pull, pull up Squidge. One of my favourite comments you made about Reese Hodge is that his kicking percentage goes <laughs> up with every metre further away from the post. Yes. I think you said when he's outside the stadium, 100%. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> it's mad. It doesn't make any logical sense. I but I think just because he wellies it so far that it has to fade off somewhere near the post. Yes. It's I love it. I love watching him kick. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. All right. Well, so this game... Um, the, we just, I guess, go through some of the big questions. Obviously, we don't have team lineups yet. Um, we've touched on a lot of points, but look, look, at, starting with the Wallabies lineup, some questions for uh, for Squidge. Uh, James O'Connor back. Um, mm. hope, in theory, I think Harry just read an update today that he's looking good. Um, how does the Wallabies he's change? <laughs> he's a good looking man. Um, how do the Wallabies change with um, with him back at the helm? How do you think they're going to change? Yeah, I think that'd be very positive. I've been kind of. I wasn't sure if he'd be back or not. Um, I think it was interesting how they used Hodge at 10 because they didn't really use him as a 10. You know, it was like they played three centres and they kind of 
missed out the 10 channel or they had in the way you sometimes see a 12 slot in and give a few passes um it didn't feel like they had a fly half and it worked actually in a way perhaps you wouldn't expect it to uh instead they just had a, a bloke of an absolute can on his foot who could just launch it whenever they were in danger um with james o'connor i think there's a bit more shape to it and he can operate kind of in between that he can easily operate as an outfield player if they're if they're wanting him to be more of that you know rather than just a, a membrane or a third center um but he also is a very good and very able to organize player you know he's very good at calling things around him as well as being quick and dangerous yeah. uh, and for me he is quite easily the best option the Wallabies have at 10. Yeah, agreed. Interesting the, the way they were playing that with um, Hodge at 10. We were pointing out that they played off um, Nick White a lot. He was became their, you know, their first, you know, the, the ball player for a lot of it. Yeah. Also, Paysami, you know, coming in, we'd seen him used as a bash and crash outside centre um, this season, which is the first time we've really seen him in, in Super Rugby for Queensland. Mm. But his skill set is is awesome, you know, far better than we thought it was. He can kick off both feet, you know, he, he's got a really good pass on both both sides. So I think that really helped, you know, stabilise Hodge and, and sort of help him out a little bit there as well. Took some pressure off. Yeah, he's been very good to yeah. see he's kind of come out of nowhere. Like I'd seen him play a couple yeah. of times in Super Rugby. Yeah. Yeah, he's been very impressive and looks rounded and he has a kind of like little, little bit of class about him, you know, he's got a little bit of time on the ball whenever he gets it. He was a similar story to Josh Adams. I was just saying in that mm. he was down in Melbourne and told that he wasn't good enough to, to play Super Rugby or make it. And so went up to Queensland and just worked his ass off. And um, yeah. he was, yeah. he was, he was time he was staying at his uh, manager's uh, office. He had no, no wow. where to live. That was like less than 18 months ago, <laughs> you know, like wow. and now he's in, yeah. in the Wallabies. So it's pretty, pretty amazing, you know, that rise. Um, what, what do you think, Squidge? What's our best centre pairing the Wallabies can put together at the moment? Oh, I mean, I I am a big fan of Perth Army. I think he's excellent. Uh, I feel like you've kind of got to try and get Reese Hodge on the pitch somewhere. Yeah. And I don't entirely know where that is. Uh, that might be in the centre. No one does. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's not. it. Um, yeah, no, yeah, especially not Reese Hodge. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm not entirely sure to be honest. Um, I so O'Connor Paisami, um I am currently Googling the squad to see if there's someone really obvious I'm forgetting. <laughs> well, we had uh, <laughs> Pataya at 13. Oh, Pataya, yeah. But, but I, I, I think Jordan Pataya is extremely good and extremely talented. Mm. Um, I thought he played incredibly well at 13 against England in the World Cup. Mm. Um, I haven't seen him be as rounded at 13 since. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I still think he's got a few kind of wingery instincts, a bit like um, Rico Ioani does. Yeah, definitely. Occasionally, you know, he holds <clears throat> the ball in one hand and he, he doesn't necessarily look to make time for others as you want from a 13. Yeah, um, he but he has the raw ability, you know, and I think he's more of a 13 than, than Ioani is. Um, so, um, yeah, I, it's almost for lack of other options unless you move O'Connor or Hodge into the centre. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. It's interesting. 
I kind of see Pattaya a little bit like the Caleb Clark of Australia, you know, like he has this yeah. amazing ability, but he throws the ball away, misses opportunities. I think a couple of weeks ago, he kicked the ball away with a couple of minutes to go and we needed to score a trial. He just hasn't got that polish at the moment. And I found it really interesting that they flicked Kurandrani as early as they have mm. as the guy that was maybe a bit more understated, but such a solid option. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's, there's been a plenty of things, you know, uh, I, I to and fro whether I think um, Patea should be on the wing at the moment, giving him that time to, you know, develop and play international footy a little bit more and, and be able to, you know, do, do the things he's doing at the moment. Right now, I think it, it just seems that he doesn't, it, it might be just he's so confident in himself, but he doesn't seem to trust the people around him. He's, as you said, he's not really looking to create something for someone else. And when he does, he, he did do a little bit earlier on in, um, you know, the Tri-Nations, he's just throwing a silly offload. It's not making that, yeah. that correct decision. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd like to see him develop. I don't know if anyone really agrees, to be 100% fair, but I'd taken, like... He, he's taken on the Samu Karevi-like persona. We used to refer to uh, the Reds as the Queensland Karevis, uh, because <laughs> just carried the entire team. So yeah. I think Jordan Bataille occasionally has some Kobe Bryant vision where it's just him and uh, 29 other opposition players on the field. You know, it's uh, if he gets anyone else, it's this. Um, which is great. I mean, he probably has the sheer athleticism to take on another 29 people. Mm. But um, yeah, it's this decision-making. It is got to come, you know, will come with time. But um, look, yeah. moving on, the biggest question, of course, not just because mm. this is my, we're talking my favourite position and players, Aniela Tupo, or Alan Alatoa. I mean, Tupo, fantastic bench, uh, you know, impact player, but also can play the 80 as he has for the Reds the entire season. Mm. Um, who do you start uh, for this game and in general for the Wallabies out of those two? I, oh, again, I, I think this is a fascinating question because they're both excellent but very different players. Yep. Um, and my instinct is Alatoa starts, but... Tupu comes on and they cause utter chaos in the last half hour. But, and because he will, because he will, you get him, as happened in the World Cup, and it's happened a couple of times in this Tri Nations, running at a tired defense because he is like a freight train running at, running at men who can barely stand in some cases. Um, but I really like when they've started him and when they then brought Alatoa on, if, because he's now capable of playing you know, about 80 minutes of playing mm. there or thereabouts. Um, and he hasn't really faded out that much in the last 10 minutes, um, whenever he has lasted. Um, so you then have him start. And if the scrum isn't going great, Alato can come on and fix things. He's almost like a safety blanket on the bench and you let Tupo go. Um, just wind him up, you know, just give him a prod. You'd, you'd wind up a little dial on his back and let him go before the game. Um, so yeah, so all of my kind of conventional instincts and logical thinking says Alatoa and you bring Tupo on, but I quite liked starting Tupo and just, just letting him run. It's, it's a hard one, isn't it? I think, look, uh, it's great. It would be great to get your input in terms of where, where do you think Tupo ranks in terms of the, the props in the world, the tight head props in the world? I mean, obviously, um, you know, there's some great tight heads up in the Northern hemisphere, Furlong, Mm. Sinclair. Uh, and I think I get very excited and put my green and gold glasses on when I talk about Tupo. But um, look, he's oh, he's obviously he's still young. Your opinion, um, yeah, that's yeah. what I want. But, but yeah, where do you, where do you think he compares in terms of tight heads in world rugby? How long ago did you think he became the number one player? <laughs> <laughs> 
about three minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, I yeah no I I think he's right up there, and I think you give him another year of playing like this, and I'm very willing to put him into a World Fifteen. You know, yep. if he's able to sustain the kind of performance he has the last three weeks. I say he was very good in the World Cup, but he was coming off the bench generally. Yeah. So it's hard to go. He's the best in the world <clears> if he's coming off the bench. Um, <laughs> If he can sustain like a year under this and remain consistent, and especially once, as happens when you've kind of had a good run of games, players start to analyse you and work you out and work out what you do, um, I'm, I'd be really excited about him. And I think he could, he could slot in amongst the, as you said, the Furlongs and the Sinclairs of, of the world. Um, and because I don't think there is a... Generally in the front row, it's the hardest position if you're lining up a World 15 to just go, oh, it's this person, they are the best, you know? Yeah. Um, and not for the same reason as the back row, that there's so many world-class players. Like, there's kind of, there's lots of very, very good players, but there isn't necessarily one in any of those positions where you go, maybe even the Jamie George, where you kind of go, oh, they are the best, you know? That's as good as it gets in that position. Yeah. Um, and Tupo has the potential. You give him a bit longer, and he's only 24, which is really young for a prop, mm-hmm. to, to build, and he could, he could be, he could be. I, I think the thing that will stand him apart is when we see him come off the bench as like an inside centre in the next couple of games. <laughs> Play number eight. Play number eight. That's the centre. That's the best midfield. You start. <laughs> Got it. What, what, while we're on the topic of prop second player centres, I don't know if you've seen any or, or much of Angus Bell when he's had his tiny little little snippets. I think we have a similar opinion of him in terms of where he could become in terms of a, a prop with his devastating around the field and, and uh, at the scrum. Maybe a bit early to throw his name in any of those conversations yet, but he's, he's a similar breed, I reckon. I think what we're saying is we're telling Squidge to keep his eyes on young Angus Bell, 20-year-old Australian prop. But um, now, look, moving on, we've asked... We've talked about Reese Hodge. We've talked about Tupo. Um, the two other questions, look... No, we could talk about hookers, but let's stuff hookers. The hard question... Um, <laughs> Who do we drop Ted Flanagan for? Let's be honest, we're dropping. Him. <laughs> um, who who can the Wallabies play at six? We're saying New Zealand might have found the answer with a Kiriwani. The Wallabies haven't. There's, yeah, um, there's plenty of options as well. We've got Nasarani, we've got Samu, we've got Valentini. Um, we had Swinton before he got his card. Uh, there's, there's a few I, options. There. He was right on time, Swinton. We gave him about thirty minutes. Yeah, um, I, I even saw an article today that I don't agree with that said bring Arnold back and he's the answer for six. Which what? I bring Arnold at six. Six. But I saw That's that on online today, literally just before this podcast. That's how desperate we are. I didn't bother yeah. reading it. Liam Wright as well. Yeah, Liam Wright. Yeah. All right, stop throwing things at him, Squidge. What do you think? Who who should the Wallabies play at six? Uh, I really like Lucas Winton. Um, as you say, there is. There is the problem that he will do the thing he did. Uh, um, yep. But if he can sort that out, I really like the look of him. I assume he's still banned for this game. He is. Um, yeah. He got four Okay. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, so that's a shame because I yeah. would like to see him there. And because I think since Scott Fardy, the Wallabies have missed just an outright bastard in the pack. <laughs> and he is that. Like, <laughs> I don't think he'd deny it himself. Um, I I really like Fraser McWright, but I think again it might be t- the amount of young back rowers Rennie's thrown in. It might be one too far to start him. Certainly, um, 
so very much a seven as well. Open side. We, yeah. We don't, I don't want to start the Fraser McWright fan club because Harry Nelson will we talk about him, him as, <laughs> uh, more than you could talk about Josh Adams. I promise you. So um, yeah. <laughs> we won't. But I, I think Swinton, look, we, we, we said in that game, it would have been the best piece of coaching ever in rugby if uh, Dave Rennie summoned the courage to, um, as soon as the All Blacks got a red card, to just take Lockie Swinton off the field. You know what I mean? So we maintain 15 players, just just 20 minutes into the game or whatever, just like, yep, all right, he's done. Let's move on. Uh, we, we're going to play with 15 men. But um, no, that's. I think it's a tough one. Uh, I think, how, how do you feel about, look, we've, I don't want to talk any more about it, but how do you feel about Ted Flanagan now? He, you, uh, you proceeded to, my favourite video was trash him for an entire video, then put a footnote on it, which I wasn't happy with. Um, I don't know. I don't think he's up to being a international six. Um, yeah. But what what are your thoughts now? I'm saying a few more games, I guess. I did think until, you know, until a month or two ago that he was <laughs> pointless. I just didn't get it. I just kind of went, what Thank is this you. lamppost in a wig doing in a gold jersey? <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> We're back. Yes. Why? Why is he there? What does he do? He just kind of stands there. It's like they just—they were just looking around and kind of went, "He's tall. Can he play rugby?" <laughs> and they kind of went, "We'll say yes." How much are you paying? Um, and so they kind of—they put him in because he was big, um, and he is—you—you you can't take that away from him. He is a big lad, um, but. I think kind of beyond that was a bit like, why, why? And then I thought, actually, when you watch me at the All Blacks, there's lots of things you expect from, a, from an international player, their minus six, where he is unable to do them, you know, and he just isn't there. And then I sort of started to, to watch it again as I was kind of going back over, having written and recorded the thing. I was kind of going, actually, he's making a bigger impact than I thought. And he's not necessarily great, but it was that game weirdly became the best game I've seen Ned yeah. Hannigan play. Yeah. Which, sure. is admittedly, <laughs> yeah, admittedly, that's a low bar, but um, <laughs> you know, he didn't give away break. any. Yeah, <clears throat> he he made a break. He cleared out like three rucks. You know, um, what more can you ask of a player? That, um, that break yeah. was the clearest evidence ever because he was the most confused player on the yeah. field at that time. He, he yeah. looked like he'd never seen. It was, open space in his life so it was clearly the first time he did it and he didn't know how to draw the last yeah. defender he just goes shit i've made a break i'll give the ball to someone else yes but uh, no lamp post in a wig i'm going to use that that's fantastic that is <laughs> all right well let's yeah. so i was gonna say move on to the the pumas onto the pumas lineup mm. we've talked about um last week a lot of changes 10 changes perhaps too many uh that's difficult for any team as despite them all training together a lot, and I think Squidge made a great point about all these players have you know been away for three months. You kind of got to give some of them some game time. Um, I think they I think they rested some players last week, which is always an odd thing to do against the All Blacks. Uh, they talked mm. about resting some players, but we'll probably see some of them come back into the starting lineup. Um, notably, I think their their props. Um, they had a timely return of. Uh, Geronimo De La Fuente. Um, I think we might see a really experienced pairing there in the centres of him and Orlando. Um, yeah, I, th- I guess what the big question for me with the Argentinian lineup is uh, Guido Petty might be injured. So one of the best locks in the world. We haven't yet talked about um, how he's been terrorising the lineouts, just 
his defensive work getting up in the lineouts has been immense. Um, if he's if he's not playing, uh, I guess really going to be difficult for them to push some of their strengths. He's he's in massive for their team. Um, what, where do you see the the changes coming for this uh, Argentinian team? Yeah, I can see. I'd imagine they'll swing back more from the team that played the first two games mm-hmm. as much as they can. You know, um, I think we might see more of Miotti because we haven't really gotten a good look at him. And considering they brought Sanchez off quite early, because I think he, having been fantastic in those first two games, he wasn't entirely firing on all cylinders last weekend. Uh, so maybe this is the week where they give him a shot, where they give him a go. Uh, but at the same time, I'd keep Sanchez in. You know, I think the, the form he's been in, the way he's been back, you want to keep his confidence high as much as anything and mm. keep him going. Um, so Miotti might be an option. Uh, and in the back three, I think they've got so many good players that they could change that up. They could put Carreras back to fullback. Um, <clears> I'd imagine they'll bring Delgi back in. And I love Batista Delgi. Um, I love the fact that his favourite thing in the world is to run from his own try line. <laughs> this is a kind of challenge to himself. Um, he loves, seems to love it more than scoring. Um, so, yeah, I feel like Delgi will come back in. Um, sorry, players, like to... I was going to say, he's one of those players who looks like he doesn't even know where he's going. You know what I mean? Like, his yeah. tummies and steps are so good because he doesn't even know. It's, it's how it yes. is. <laughs> um, you're mentioning Miotti because they've confirmed now that Kubeli will not be playing, which mm. leaves Escura and Bertranau. And I think Escura was atrocious in the first half last week, better <laughs> in the second, but really mm. atrocious in the first half. So I feel like Bertranau surely the guy that's going to get a run. Yeah. And he played all of <clears throat> Super Rugby in the last kind of 18 months, I think, really, with Miotti, right? Like they've, they've actually got mm. a bit of a combination and, and a bit of a relationship that would make it a little bit easier to bring someone like Miotti in. Yeah. And I thought... Um, I was very much on that Bertrand is Argentina's best nine until Cabelli was fantastic in a win over the All Blacks. Yeah. And he kind of now got, oh, actually, no, he's, he's come back round to being the player he was two years ago. Mm. Um, because I thought Bertrand was very good in the one game he played in the World Cup. Um, and then, you know, as you say, has been fantastic in Super Rugby and has that combination. So it'd be, I'd, I'd quite like to see that. Um, at the same time, you do want to see that, you know, as a, as a neutral, I'd like to see both teams really fire at it and like the Argentina play what they consider to be, you know, close to their strongest team rather than resting and giving some players a go. But again, there are, there are players in this squad who haven't played, you know, they're well, their own cap players, never mind. Um, <clears throat> who haven't played this year. So I can imagine they might give some other players a go. I don't know if they'll rest Petty considering his injury, but he is so crucial to them and he is so good. Um, so yeah, I, I'd imagine they'll change the front row. I'd imagine they'll bring back in Delgi. I don't know what they'll do in the rest of the back row. Um, Cancelier, no, sorry, um, Shokabaris may come back in. But again, they may stick with Delafuente, who's far more established and plays a similar role. What do you, um, what do you see? Do you think Facundo Issa did enough? Um, we were massive fans of him. Mm. And then uh, I suppose we haven't got to see as much of him since his time over in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, that's not the most. Don't, don't use the word were massive fans. Am. We are. We were before he left. Before we left and we didn't get to see him you know, against the, the players that we, we watch week in, week out. How good has he been in the Northern Hemisphere you know, before he's been called back into this squad? Oh, he's been very good um, consistently. He is excellent. I mean, the, it helps. The, so he plays for Toulon now. Um, 
and he now plays as a kind of starting back row alongside Sergio Parise. Mm. And it's useful to have a number eight who actually does the work rather than just looking like he's doing it, but having a massive ego about everything he does, um, which is what Parise has been for the last couple of years. You know, he's, it, his, his playing ability has waned, but his ego has not. He, um, is Parise really um, 200 centimetres tall? Is that... Um, I have I haven't got him and a tape measure next to me, so I couldn't tell you. The <laughs> I was going to say that's a bit off the cuff. It's like, I saw I saw it recently, but Squidge Parise. Uh... No, I just I, I knew that he was he was big, but I saw something recently saying he was he was two meters tall, and I just thought that was that was ridiculous. He probably wrote his Wikipedia page. To be fair, yes. <laughs> yeah. in metaphorical standing in Italy, he probably is. He's he's you know seven meters tall. Um, and he, he will let you know, you know, he is going to be yeah. the man to build his own statues. But yeah, every time I've seen Toulon play uh, since he's assigned for them, there's been a lot of him quietly just doing all the work yeah. of him carrying really hard. And he is, for the kind of carrier he is and the kind of player he initially burst through as, he's far more of a jackal and a breakdown threat than you expect. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he works really hard. Yeah. He's kind of like an all-round back rower. Um, yeah fantastic and yeah he's been very good on both hemispheres he's been very good no matter where he's playing yeah i think they missed him sorely in the world cup playing uh, ortega mm. desio i just don't think he was anywhere near the same caliber of player i think that was a yeah. huge loss for them so uh, right something i learned recently uh javier ortega desio is the like third most followed rugby player on instagram what he must yeah, have he's behind wife. yeah he d- so he does. It turns out his wife is massively famous in Argentina. He's married to like a massive reality TV star in Argentina. So yeah, he is. He just like posts photos of her, and then he's just like, yeah, great, well done. Um, so it's like it's like Dan Carter, like Sonny Bill, and then him. <laughs> I wonder how, how much does that weigh into um, signing rugby contracts in 2020? You know what I mean? Just like, uh, please yeah. see my following um, and <laughs> add some zeros to that contract. Uh, no, that's great. Um, I think Facundo Issa, look, we talked about last week with Paul Tate about um, Bruni uh, and mm. Issa are both about the same, so, exact same size, like height and weight and everything. But mm. Facundo Issa just does everything with far, like he's far more explosive. Um, mm. Bruni just, he kind of makes Bruni look really slow. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Issa last week, uh, even in the losing battle, he led the carries and the, the run meters for the the Argies. And I think, look, uh, I mean, I think he can grow into one of the, the best number eights in the world, to be honest. So yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping he's, I assume he'll be starting this week and going forwards. But um, yeah, I guess, look, in terms of um, who are we tipping? really, for this game. Um, it's uh, We've talked about changes to the sides. Australia's had two weeks off. Will we be able to use it as well uh, as the All Blacks were in preparing for this game? Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to go ahead and just tip Australia by 101 points, um, <laughs> to, you know, in solidarity. Uh, get that tri-nations back. <laughs> um, I'll ask the boys first and give uh, Squidge time to think. Harry, what are you tipping? I was going to say, I'm going to wait and listen to Squidge because I feel like he's a lot smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know about that at all. I don't know about that at all. Watch him nail it on the head. No, Harry, you're, you're up first, mate. What's your tip for this one? Oh. Uh, okay, <laughs> well, end of a t- long tour for Argies. Wallabies to get it done with some structure in their attack. Uh, Wallabies by 18 points. Ooh. Ooh. I, I was going to say 
and we are very much Australian. So these are going to be bigger than <laughs> I think other people would be saying. But look, I, I was going to say, I think we had a lot of opportunities and didn't necessarily put them away with James O'Connor there and a little bit more guidance uh, with, with that 10 jersey. Hopefully we can finish some plays off. I, I think, you know, the Argies have just lost a little bit of that, that intensity after this long tour. So I think we, we're going to put a few of these tries away and we'll win by 15. 15, all right. And that leaves you, Squidge. What, what are you tipping? Say, Arge, the Moss uh, by 27? <laughs> <or? laughs> 94 points? The 94 points to win it? No, 95, though. We'll call it 95. <laughs> we'll take it. I, I, I lean towards the Wallabies, too, but I can, I can very much see Argentina winning by two or three points. Yeah. Um, I feel like if it's a tight game, I'd almost fancy them more. Yep. Just because of the way they have used Sanchez and Buffelli to just take points anywhere whenever they're in touch. And if it, you know, I don't know what the weather's going to be like, if it's raining or if it's tight or if there's, you know, there's kind of no space as it's possible there might be. Mm. I'd back Argentina to pull that out. Yep. However, I do think I can see the Wallabies by eight or nine, you know, yeah. by just over two scores. It's interesting. We talk about how um, Argentina in the last game reverted to some of their tendencies and there was a bit more panic evident things like that i think you as you've said if it's a close game i actually think the wallabies will be the side that will perhaps panic a little bit more and argentina the closer it is will mm. be able to i don't know just feed off the energy of getting that win so uh, of like that yeah you know, a close game so that'll be one yeah. look all right let's get into dessert and just uh round mm. out the pod what's a god do with that deserto do what do what do that We have, I guess, a, a kind of a question and then a few listener, listener questions. So um, I, I, I think to beat the All Blacks, you've discussed and analysed this a lot in your videos. Uh, whenever they lose, it's typically because of the rush defence um, executed really, really well. Um, Ian Foster's kind of suggested three ways that you can counter this. And um, I, I guess with... He said gain line runs, quick ruck ball, and a good short kicking game. Um, what, what are the sides that have really nailed this? I mean, we can obviously look at England in the World Cup, but um, I, I think it's typical of not only betting New Zealand, it's also Australia. The, the, the rush defence is just the Achilles heel of these teams. What, what, how, else, how else can you counter that? Uh, I mean, yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I think you know initially when the rush defense first came in, when it was sort of Warren Gatlin with wasps and so on. Um, everyone's at the chip over the top, or a little grubber in behind, um, and that then becomes quite easy to actually counter. You know, for the defensive team, it's quite easy for them to work out how they can get around it. But that remains always an option. That remains something always there. But it's got to be system. You know, got to spot your moments rather than it being like a, a systematic thing. Um, so that's always there. But I think often the the quickest way, and it's something to say, England did a lot in the World Cup. Um, South Africa did every now and again. Um, was and we, you know, it happens quite often. Is you kind of you throw a phase into the middle, you straight up the middle, kind of crash ball, um, because it firstly it splits the defense into two halves. So they instead of one line rushing up, they've got one side, two lines on either side rushing up. Uh, and if you can generate quick ball, if you can work quickly with mm. two half to half defensive lines. And that quick ball is and always will be 
the quickest possible and the most effective possible way of beating any defence, um, other than just hoping they don't tackle, I guess. But um, if, it's the, if it's a confident defence, there will always be quick ball. That will always be this way around. Um, so I think that's kind of it. It's, it's knowing where to hit. It's knowing where to disable a defence almost. Um, as again, we've seen sort of a lot of you, you throw you know, you throw a kind of disposable carrier into the 13 channel, into that kind of between the 10 and 12 to take out their key, the men that leave the defensive line, that leave that rush. Um, and you can begin to, if you can get the ball away quickly, begin to work things. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, and I'm sure there's loads and loads of ways. Like the All Blacks did it quite effectively with a, just quite a small kicking game of not chips and grubbers, but just hanging the ball in, just in behind. So there's, there's loads of way around. Um, and I, you know, it's very interesting to see, see how they go. Like Exeter in the UK uh, won the European Cup by basically just doing pick and goes all the time, just because it meant they couldn't rush at all because they were completely, you know, they, they didn't get a chance. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's plenty of options. Um, but it is, you know, it's, I find it really interesting. There's a lot of kind of moaning about defence over attack, but it means that when attack is good, it's more deserved, you know, that yeah. tries almost mean more as a result. Yep. We've got um, that. That was excellent, mate. I, I was really interested to hear what you said there. So oh, I love the, the and, and I remember it was something that got touched on a, a few years ago about trying to split the defensive line like that. And mm. I, it's probably something that we we haven't really seen enough of from uh, as a tactic. It generally goes back to that short kicking game, which, as you said, teams smart teams sniff out pretty quickly. Mm. We have a few uh, a few listener questions that we think mm-hmm. about. Normally, we make a few up, or Mitch Evans writes us half a dozen. <laughs> but uh, with you, a few more, mate. So I will start with uh, the uh, Rugby Fixation podcast host, Mitch Evans. He's got two for you. The first one, if the Rugby World Cup starts next week, which two teams are meeting in the final? Oh, okay. Uh, so Uruguay for certain. Um, <laughs> um, and probably France. No, um, so team that we're going to see this coming week, or <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm just, I'm just very excited by Louis Carvinel playing international rugby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen much of him, but he is, he is such a little shit to give him the proper. <laughs> And he's just, he's, he's enormously annoying and he could well be the most hated man in international rugby. Oh, wow. wow. Like, he has the potential to be like the next Quade Cooper. For the all the wrong um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, he's kind of best remembered from the final of the under-20s World Cup a couple of years ago. Uh, France score tried to seal it and he then points and laughs at England as he's taking the conversion. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty Oh, Wow. So he's he's kind of that's the kind of player he is, and he's on the bench for France at the minute, and I I love him. Uh, <laughs> he sounds like my new favourite player. Anyone willing to do that to England? Um, yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I I think France have got a very good shout. Um, but if it started next week rather than you know in a year's time, mm. I think England are looking there or thereabouts. I think England are the most have been the most consistent team this year. Yep. Um, I think France have been extremely good, but they still have wobbles and it's still a very young team. Um, so they're not, they're not quite there yet, but I feel like you've given three years and they, they may well be. Yep. Um, Argentina, again, have that kind of ability to get up for one or two games. Uh, we've got a factor in the fact that we haven't seen Japan or South Africa play at all. 
Um, yep. So there's nothing to, to judge them on. Yep. Because I almost feel it might be an England-South Africa final again. Mm. Um, but you you can't rule out the All Blacks at all, ever. You know, there's just it's an eternal rule of international rugby. You, you just can't, <laughs> you can't rule them out. Um, and I, I think the Wallabies are doing really interesting things and really kind of building mm. genuinely. And similarly to, you know, I felt last year they probably had a really big game in them, you know, yep. and I could have seen mm. them beating England inexplicably in the in the quarterfinal or something, um, mm. despite being fine either side of that. Um, and in the end, that didn't quite happen. You know, it felt like they kind of their their big performance came out in the rugby championship instead. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was a shame, obviously. But apart from you know, obviously. We're, we're, Wales in their group, other than that one game. Otherwise, it's a shame. Um, but yeah, so my instinct is South Africa in England, but we haven't seen South Africa play. So if we're just basing it on teams who have played, depressingly, it might be the All Blacks, but I don't like to say it um, <laughs> because I'm, I'm really enjoying how much they're being beaten um, and how much, how even this Tri Nations is. Yeah. Well, yeah. look, if, if, it was to, if it was next week, Brody Retallick would probably just, you know, materialise from the Netherlands <laughs> yes. and then they'd win. That's probably what would happen. So, um, no, I agree. What, what, what was the second question, Nelson? Oh, sorry, Harry, was it? What, uh, what's a good result for Wales this weekend? <laughs> oh, against Italy. Um, a win, a win, you know, or a draw. Um, just avoiding defeat. I think it's 2007, the last time Italy beat us, um, which was, again, that's a bad memory. That's coming flooding back to <laughs> Um, so you know, if we can, if we can avoid that, I, but at the same time, there's a, there is a part of me that's always a bit. This is the least meaningful competition Wales will play until, until kind of the warm up before the next World Cup. If Italy's going to beat us any time, and I quite, I think it'd be good for Italian rugby. Might as well be now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it feels like a long process. Um, I think almost more than actually a result. You know, a result would be very nice. But if Wales can show something of this attacking game, Pivac's trying to build, and Stephen Jones, the attack coach, are trying to build. Because finally, last week against England, we saw something yeah. that kind of... There was some return to the kind of Gatlandish dog and fight, uh, which was good to see. You know, like it's not all been torn apart. Uh, so if he can... If we've got that in the bank, if we can now show something of... As we did in that first game against Italy in the Six Nations, um, <clears throat> show some sort of, of, of attack that would be good. That would be kind of the, the main focus to show that we're building some, we're both rebuilding the thing we just torn apart <laughs> and building, um, and building something new as well inside. Yep. Uh, I've got a couple of questions here. One's from Alexander James Nabung. He is the super sub on the podcast. When one of us three uh, can't be, he, he fills in. He has said, what do you think is the main difference in style of rugby between a Rennie and Chaka Wallabies in this, you know, short period of time that we've seen them. <laughs> oh, um, I think Rennie, Rennie's team is willing to kick. Yeah. Um, which is <laughs> it's a big one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's, that's kind of a, a, a microcosm of a bigger thing in that I think Chaka had a structure and then it was you play within that, you know, and you kind of make it up as you go along. Whereas yeah. Rennie is far more, we will play tactics and we'll think about what we're doing rather than playing entirely off instinct. Yeah. Um, which works to a degree. And as I say, can you, you can have a game or two where everything clicks for you. 
but it is quite hard in 2019 2020 to win big international games approaching them like that you know to to pull it out the fire when everything is on fire um which is kind of his approach it's like you run faster when you're on fire it's like no but you're still on fire (laughs) yeah i I think it's taxing as a wallabies fan in that uh we're just always waiting for that one game that it clicks because mm. when when it does, it's fantastic, you know. And yeah. you know, we can blow in any other team off the park, but it's so far in between. It would almost be nice to uh, to have just a consistent style of play and slow down the game, proper test match rugby, you know. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not not the Australian way, I suppose. But yeah, I, 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 no. yeah. um, the the next question is from a guy I played rugby with, Andrew Mobley. <laughs> Uh, he is Welsh. He says, "Oh, cool, love it." He's not a bad little winger. Quick, quick guy. <laughs> um, he said his home rugby club, and I've never tried to pronounce a Welsh word in my life. <laughs> Good luck. Say, can you can you explain how to say it? And he didn't. So, Quimbran, C W M B R A N, and that might be the worst butchered Cumbran, word I've yeah. ever said. That's how. <laughs> how do you say it? Uh, Cumbran. It, it should be more phlegm in your voice, but because I sort oh, of. Nice. <laughs> Because I've, I I grew up in England, so I'm kind of with Welsh parents, but I'm, yeah. so I don't have as thick an accent as you need because you kind of need to be fully Welsh to say any Welsh place name properly. <laughs> yeah, we we had one guy in our team. We had a, a had to do your school that you were represented for your rugby team, and I swear mm. he's had about fifteen or sixteen letters and no vowels. It was yeah one of the scariest words I've ever seen. But uh, he just basically said, obviously, if you're, if you're not from Wales, but he said, what is your home club? My home club. Yeah. Um, so my, my family's all from Mustard Merck, uh, which is about 20 minutes, half an hour outside Cardiff. Yep. Um, so the local club is Penalta, um, which is where Elliot D in the, the Welsh team is from Penalta. Uh, yeah. He's kind of our most successful player, I think. Uh, yeah. Since there was a guy that used to walk to school with my dad, who he then didn't see for ten years, and then one day turned on the TV and he was playing against Ireland. Um, <laughs> so yeah. that, that, that happens in Wales, you know. Everyone knows yeah. everyone, um, but yeah, well, everyone knows someone who knows everyone. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, uh, I as I say, I kind of lived in Nottingham um, growing up. So uh, Nottingham Boots Corsairs were my. I'm the kind of the That's, team I played for as a kid a bit. Um, sounds like a Nottingham team. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, they were originally sponsored by Boots, the chemist, which is kind of the biggest high street chemist in the UK. Um, couldn't tell you why. You know, just they fancied getting involved in rugby one day and picked a, a local side. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Penalta is kind of the... And I spend a lot of time when I was a kid, me and my brother kind of... Because there was a relationship around the corner of my grandparents' house. Whenever we were down there over the summer and stuff, we yeah, just took a ball about on their, their first team pitch without anyone noticing. Hmm. Yeah, great. Nice. Well, well, look, our final listener's question um, before, before we let you go, and I think this is a great one to kind of round out the, the podcast with. Obviously, you make heaps of videos. Um, you, uh, we, we don't know the extent of all of the stuff that you get into. Um, I don't know if you're writing articles. You're, as we've said, you're now in uh, Chasing the Sun in the documentary that we can't seem to get our hands on to watch, actually, I've, uh, <laughs> which I would love to watch. But um, uh, our last listener question from Steve Condolos um, was just, it was really good about um, how, two parts, I guess. Have you ever considered uh, commentating? you know, games live, you know, doing a live stream type thing. Hmm. And the second part is just, um, 
I guess we often see uh, you having trouble with um, getting, you know, copyright videos taken yeah. down, all that kind of stuff. What what would you like to see change to make it easier to keep producing such great videos um, and get more um, access into content and things like that? Uh, the first one, something I thought about, you know, in terms of doing a, a live stream or something, or something I I talked about doing during the World Cup, and it became such a a kind of nightmare to set that up in amongst everything else I was doing in A, running around Japan and then B, trying to make, I think it was close to 800 videos or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it, it just kind of fell in between the cracks. And I, again, I had conversations about trying to do it during for the first game of Super Rugby Aotearoa, mm. um, which fell on my birthday. And I felt like, well, that's a good occasion. That's a good kind of, you know, moment to, to bring it up. Um, but I don't know. And I, I've never, commentary was never sort of where I was, looking in terms of sort of a, a career if you want to use that word um yeah. but yeah we're you know it's always in the back of my head all these things in the back of my head um sure. but not i guess in the immediate pipeline mm -hmm. um but you never know yeah. uh, i think it um, would be something awesome to hear you know we we love commentators where they you know adding some really intelligent insights to a game so i think that would be a a big strength for so you, you get someone else alongside me as well for that. yeah for sure yeah. <laughs> we, we, we'll come along we'll come along with you yeah <laughs> you're very welcome four four way comes um i had immediate step up yeah um uh, what was the other question about so the other question was just about um about a lot oh, of people don't see the yeah about making content yes. and um just access to it and i guess you know, obviously it's hard. We all understand it takes a lot of time to produce these videos, mm. such quality content and do all the analysis, but it's, um, it's still hard for everyone to, to understand what exactly goes into it and the obstacles that you face and things like that. Um, I think yeah. you're fairly unique in the content you're providing and there's obviously such a demand for it for just, you know, some comedic uh, relief uh, with some insightful yeah. analysis and things like that. So, I guess, um, yeah, what, what would make, what would you like to see change to make your life easier in terms of getting access to, to, to video footage and copyright and things like that? Yeah. Um, so there's something the NBA did a couple of years ago, the uh, baseball just at the MLB have just <clears throat> started this year um, where they will, you can kind of, the NBA system anyway, you can basically buy the rights to your club, um, to the footage of all the games their season, for I, I think it's like $60 a year or $70 a year or something. Right. Um, and then when you've got that, you can then use that for, you know, you can make your own content, you can make your own videos <clears> on YouTube, TikTok, whatever, um, and put it out and make your own content. And it's led to this huge increase in, um, in you know, like social media and fan-driven stuff within the NBA. Nice. Because A, they can do it without fear of copyright strikes and so on. And B, the footage is out there and available. Mm. Um, and it would be great to see, as you say, sort of my stuff's reasonably unique, mm. but it shouldn't be, you know? And I know there are people out there who'd be far, far better than, than, than me who just sure don't that. have the chance. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but either way, there's people who would have different angles on it to me, you know, or yep. would have sure. approaches that may fit other people better. Um, and they don't have the chance, you know, either because they can't get hold of the footage, because the, the thing's then being ripped down, because they don't have the time, whatever it is. And just if you're able to open it up a bit like that, and like the um, the Major League Baseball's equivalent is, they've just opened up their archive, you know, so everything that's more than like a week old uh, mm. is just available to you there. So you've got clips from like the 40s and so on available there, oh, yeah. which would be great because, yeah. And because it's so hard to get hold of, you know, games from before about 2011 
um, it's often quite hard to find footage of at all if you weren't, you know, the, the person videotaping them way back when. Like, you can't find many games from the, other than the final of the 87 World Cup and so on. Um, so, yeah, so it's... Yeah. That's what I'd like to see. You know, I'd like to see that kind of open up. There's still a profit and some money to be made for World Rugby or the Six Nations or the Sanzar, particularly Sanzar, mm. um, who were the, the one... That, that's the other thing I'd like, is just Sanzar to reply to my emails. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a starting point. Uh, <laughs> NDPS is a bit ambitious, but if they could just reply, you know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, I think there's lots of rooms and there's other sports that are starting to open it up. And I know without kind of wanting to, I don't know if it's to talk about, but like World Rugby have recently hired someone who has an esports background to do this kind of thing for them. So oh, hopefully well. that's kind of a, hopefully that's an interesting and positive well, thing in terms of kind of getting that moving forward. I think well, that definitely uh, is. Oh, sorry, you go. Hopefully we, we can help the, the, the Sansa side of things. We, <laughs> for, for my club that I, I play at, Barony, um, we had for one or two training sessions, the CEO of Sansa, Andy Marino, wow. turned up to, oh, wow. to come play in okay. the centers. And he looked, he looked like he still had it. Like, cause he, I think he played for Wales. He looked like he still had yeah. it. And then he, uh, he got injured <laughs> in, a, in a, a full sort of contact drill at the back end of the, the game and, and didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't come back. I think he tore his bicep. I actually saw him getting it scanned um, when I was getting one of my own injuries uh, x-rayed. But <laughs> I'll see if I can uh, hit him up and say, can, how can this happen? And uh, I suppose uh, another potential thing is, with, answer Squidge's uh, email, just say that. Yeah, answer Squidge's email, please. <laughs> um, because he said he wants to be around the club. We'll say, well, you're not allowed to play unless you, you answer your emails. Well, that's extreme. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, but well, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're you're totally right in terms of just opening up, making it easier for mm. more people to create mm. content. Can't be anything but good. It's pre-publicity yeah, or for the leg. I think. Um, perhaps the world rugby is a little bit more of an old school type institution, you know, predominantly we could say look like, like a lot of uh, the courts looked over by old white people who are kind of slow yeah. and hesitant to change. So I'm very interested in, in that. Um, you just mentioned someone from the esports e background being brought in just that type of um, that signifies to me, a, you know, that potential change. So yeah, um, hopefully. Hopefully there's a positive change in, in Australia with now we've got Channel 9 and Stan looking to be progressive mm. rather than we had Fox, you know, doing quite yeah. the opposite. But, um, you know, I, I reckon if you've got free to air and you've got behind the paywall, you just want as much exposure as possible to get people to want to see what's behind that paywall. So yeah. I mean, there's, there's not much better than, you know, your, your sort of highlight videos and things to drum up some excitement. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's hopefully, you know, that'd be, that's what I aim for, you know. Yeah. You do all, I, I think we, we better round it out there. We've, we've kept Squidge on for a, an awful long time. And wow, I'm sure yeah. we, we can talk about <laughs> me forever. <laughs> uh, it's probably it's tomorrow now over there. But um, no. yeah. um, thank you so much for joining us once again. We love talking to you. We really enjoy your videos. Um, thank you. I guess, is there, is there anything else you've been working on that uh, you know, our listeners can find you at Squidge Rugby on YouTube, on Twitter? Is there anywhere else? Um, for them to get after you? <laughs> uh, not really. Uh, there's a uh, uh, at Squidgy Go on Twitter if it's non rugby stuff, you know, which is mostly probably relevant to that. It's, it's a lot of like me talking about either the film Crank starring Jason Statham um, <laughs> or like moaning about 
the British government. So um, nice. the Brexit and that, yeah. So this is a gateway <laughs> to have that voice heard. Is that what Squidge Rugby actually is? Yeah. It's where it's going. It's where it's going. Yeah. It's all, it's, this is all part of my plan to direct Crank Free. <laughs> well thanks, thanks again to have you mate uh hopefully we uh will uh see each other again when we start uh, commentating some footy matches yeah absolutely can't wait to do the bloodzo cup next year together That's it. thanks mate thanks again for coming on yeah. thanks, All right, so cheers. Much. thanks for having me